All right, hello everyone. Welcome to the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast. We are your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. My name is Robert Winfrey, and I am your host, as usual, so thank you very much for listening. Uh, thank you for any kind of interaction you can do with the product. Um, we're available on most platforms. I'm going to say most, so YouTube iTunes, uh, but what's the is it Google Play? I forget they changed the name of that one. It used to be something else. Um, like again, Apple Podcasts used to be a thing. I think they changed that, or got absorbed into something else. I don't know. Spotify, a bunch of places. So any, however you're listening, whatever platform you happen to be using. I'm not trying to direct you to any one platform. So whatever you're using, Godspeed, rock on. Uh, interacting with the product a little bit is tremendously helpful. So like, comment, subscribe. If you've done any of that, share uh, on your social media platform of choice or just people you know in your real life, uh, whatever works for you in that respect. Um, loosely adjacent to that. One of my editors informed me that the notifications for comments on, I think it was Spotify, were struggling and finally kind of came through. I don't know, low priority for the Spotify group, I guess, was us. But ultimately, a, a few more comments came in than I thought. I didn't know we had comments over there on Spotify. So uh, thank you to everyone who's been doing that. Um, Oh, what's the name? Hang on. Let me look this up. Because again, my editor sent me this, so. Um, yeah, sure. What the heck? I don't mind doing this. Uh, small enough show. So, Sal from uh, Las Vegas. I'm sorry you live in Vegas. <laughs> I kid. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, appreciate it. Uh, you, uh, He's got comments going back. Hang on. Uh, my note from my editor here. Yeah, that's uh, several weeks. So, thank you. Uh, appreciate that, sir. Uh, continue listening, hopefully. Uh, I don't know, if, if this is your impetus for leaving, you know, if you, if you got your, uh, if I acknowledge you and then you decide, yeah, that's all I wanted, and you just leave, I'm gonna be hurt, I'm gonna be a little bit hurt, so. <laughs> Please don't. But, yeah, I'm, again, if this ever got, like, really big, I couldn't, I would have a harder time referencing individuals, but, and I also don't do that a lot because a lot of the people that listen to this are people I know personally, so I can get feedback and talk with them or whatnot in real time instead of doing it on the air. So, Anyway, uh, thank you all very, very much. I, I appreciate the heck out of it. And so again, Sal, you're up this week. If you would like to have me reference you on the show, someone else, uh, throw a comment somewhere. Decent chance I'll see it at, or it'll get back to me and I'll mention you if that that's the thing you're interested in. So, But... Uh, in all seriousness, again, to everyone who listens, who does everything they can, thank you. Thank you very, very much for the show. All right, on the agenda this evening, last night, UFC on ESPN Plus 81. We have a week off this Saturday. Hooray! I don't know what I'll do with myself. Um, so that's only partially true. I have a hunch I'm going to get called to do <laughs> to uh, cover the uh, WWE Sweet Saudi Blood Money show. Which I don't really want to, but I don't want to cover a lot of stuff that I do cover. And that's just kind of the name of the game, isn't it? You just do what you do. 
Um, okay, so no preview is the long and the short of that. So the review and then news, because the UFC, not being a organization run by a petty individual, dropped a boatload of fight announcements right after Francis Ngannou announced his plans. And what I mentioned, we'd talk about him. We will talk about him too. So we'll talk about the UFC's announced fights, whether or not we can trust that, and in some cases we can't. Francis Ngannou, and just kind of some other general news. I also am going to talk a little bit about the big boxing match from last night. Uh, Devin Haney and Vasily Lomachenko, because I just need to talk about it briefly. For those of you who are not boxing people, just bear with me. If you want to skip it, timestamps are in the description. Feel free. I... Not my business. But I am going to talk a little bit about that. So, All right, that's what we've got. All right, let's jump on uh, jump on into this, shall we? So UFC on ESPN Plus 81 last night. <clears throat> had a couple of fighters miss weight. Seems to be coming back around that time of year. And you know what? I was kind of down on this card. I will stand by being down on it more or less on on paper. I'm going to give the card some credit. Relative to my low expectations, it over-delivered. Um, not everything was great. That shouldn't surprise anyone. Nothing, very, very little of anything is great. Um, but, yeah, over-delivered. Kudos. So, main event. Mackenzie Dern defeats Angela Hill. Ooh, boof. Unanimous decision. 49-44 twice and then 49-43. I was 49-43. If you're curious how the math on that works out. Um, I gave it... Everyone seems to have given Angela Hill the second round. Then, not only does Dern win every other round, my scorecard, which again, I think wound up being 49-43, that gives Dern three 10-8s. Uh, I gave her a 10-8 in round, I think it was 1, 3, and 5. Uh, it was either that or 1, 4, and 5. I want to say 1, 3, and 5. Um, no, no, 3 was just, I think 3 was just 10-8, so it would have been 4. Yeah, 1, 4, and 5 off the top of my head. So I could look it up, but it doesn't really matter that much. Um, let's talk about the good, the bad, and the otherwise here. So, some good from Mackenzie Dern. A couple of things. Um, one, her cardio. These two, I give credit to Hill for this as well, they fought at a very high pace. Um, not the craziest pace you'll ever see, but this was a very high-paced fight from both women, and they deserve credit for that. Neither of them completely gassed out or completely fell apart, so I... I give credit to both of them for that. Well-conditioned. Very well-conditioned. Um, two, on the, let me talk just about Mackenzie Dern for a little bit. The addition of ground and pound, purposeful ground and pound to her game, is a... I lamented this after her last fight. That, look, her pure jujitsu is probably better than anyone's in that division, if not any other woman in the UFC. But this is not pure jujitsu. This is MMA. And that complicates things. And she seemed to be reliant on pure jujitsu when that wasn't getting the job done. 
Um, again, if you, she lost that uh, majority decision, I think it was to Yan Shaunan her last fight. Like, if you put these two in either gi or no gi, straight submission grappling, any of the positions Dern gets uh, that she got in that fight, she can finish from. It's just a much, it's a lot harder to do in MMA. There's, and there's a number of reasons for that. Uh, round structure, physical obstacles like the fence, the addition of equipment, uh, gloves, dude. You have, if you've never, if you've only ever done like regular grappling, if you want to, if you want to understand the difference it can make, buy some cheap MMA gloves and roll with them on and see the difference. It is, it's pretty darn big, actually. Uh, it messes with a lot of stuff. So, it was, her pure jiu-jitsu wasn't winning out because of some of these complicating factors, even though her pure jiu-jitsu was, again, much better. So, adding ground and pound to her arsenal and adjusting some of her priorities on the ground, I think, helped a lot. She prioritized control a little bit more here. And I think that was to her benefit. Especially down the stretch. I mean, once Hill started fading, and again, I give Hill credit for not falling apart, I would have... The pace they were fighting at, like, personally, I'm probably falling apart after 10 minutes. Just... It, it was that intense. I don't... But again, I mean, I'm also not a small guy, so, you know, for whatever it's worth. Uh, it, it was... This was a pace that not a lot of people can reliably sustain, and they both held up well... You still slow down the stretch. There's very few people who do... I hate to use this guy as the default example of this, but... There's very few people who do what Max Holloway does. Like, Holloway just... Um, Holloway gets better over time. Um, what is... Um, I saw someone graph this out because there's, like... there's actually like a genetic component to how your cardio works. Uh, some people start fast and then decline, like you're on a slope. Some people do the, um, the bell curve. They start slow, peak heavy in the middle, and then taper off. Some people do the other thing, um, so the reverse bell curve, where they start high, dip in the middle, and then kind of come back up towards the end. Uh, some people are very, very steady. Some people do the kind of rocket thing, where they start low and then just take off as the fight goes on. And Max Holloway, again, you don't find a lot of people who do, who get better as the fight goes on like that, cardio-wise. Like, their pace escalates consistently. It's rare. Holloway's one of the few. And neither Dern nor Hill was that. But, so naturally there's a little bit of fall-off. Neither of them, again, completely fell apart. Um, but when Hill started slowing down, you know, Dern started you know, prioritizing riding a little bit more, finding her uh, offensive options. She tried an armbar a couple of times, and I give Hill credit. She gutted through some tough spots with some pretty good technique. And in a couple of cases, being very lucky about when Dern went for the armbar. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, I, the logic behind going for the submission late in the round is that if you don't get it, you don't really lose position and you don't really wind up penalized too heavily for it. So you got, you know, 20 seconds left. Sure. Go for the armbar. It wasn't quite that with Dern. Like there was intent behind it, but she would only really go for those later unless they were, unless the attack was very, very obvious. Uh, so one of the consequences though is you can get to a point where I can finish this but maybe I don't have enough time left in the round and that again it's kind of the trade-off so it's a strategic decision there's arguments either way I'm just I'm just noting what happened not critiquing it in that respect um yeah, she was landing some pretty nasty elbows. Angela Hill's left eye was swollen pretty badly by the end of this. Um, yeah, Dern... Dern's physicality seems to have come up. Um, she looked more muscular. I think she talked about it before. And like She put on some weight, so her weight cut was tougher. But there's some physical advantage to that. She dropped Angela uh, with a right hand in the first round. And then... Uh, was it the third? I think it was the third when she landed that knee. So actually, my my round scoring might have been 10, 10 8 third, and then ten nine fourth. So I'm, I'm uh, I shouldn't harp on that. It doesn't matter that much. Um, she kind of fainted a takedown to get Hill to le- start level changing, and then just fired a right knee, hit Angela Hill square on the point of the jaw. Like she didn't quite go down from that, but she. She was badly hurt. Um, I like the addition of the ground and pound. Like some of the strategic decision making on the uh, in her grappling as well as again what she like shifting priorities just a little bit. Solid. What? There's still some stuff lacking. And some of that was disguised by the matchup here. That doesn't mean I'm not saying that. It was disguised because Hill sucks. It was disguised by the style matchup more than, you know, because Angela Hill is a, Angela Hill is a good fighter. So, but she has a way in which she fights, as does everyone. Sometimes those style matchups mask issues. And Dern still has an issue of pursuit. She still pursues kind of in straight lines. Someone who has good mobility in counter-striking is still going to give her problems. That's how Jan kind of chewed her up at times. Um, who's the other one who did that to her? Um, that's what Marina Rodriguez did. Just pretty easily, pretty consistently. Land a few, move back, circle... Angle off, plant counter, repeat. That still seems like a viable strategy against Dern. Because Hill doesn't do that. Hill prefers to be coming forward. And if she's not, she'll just kind of meet you there and expect you to back off and reset first. Never quite played out here. Like That that style of Angela Hill masked some of those issues from Dern. Um, I, I like the pace that Dern fought at. She's faded a little bit more in the past than she did here, so appreciate that. 
Her takedowns are still an issue. Um, she hit a pretty decent judo throw, kind of the old headlock throw, uh, in the, I think it was the first round. The problem with that judo throw, and this is true of a lot of judo throws, because, and this has to do with sport judo. Sport judo's winning position, they, they do some grappling on the ground so you can get submissions. They have a limited list, I forget exactly what it is, um. But they have a list. Generally speaking, the way you win, the way you want to win, is their version of the knockout, which is, uh, they call it Ipon. It's a throw where your opponent lands on their back with force. Um, they used to have three degrees of scoring. I think they've gotten away from that because they used to have, I forget what they were called. Um, but one that was just like back exposure. Your back kind of hits the mat, but there's no force. There's one where if you your back hits, even both shoulders, but if you roll through. And then there's, again, the... You can win by pin, too, if you pin someone for a 10 count. Uh, that counts. That's why some judo guys have just sick top pressure. Like, they they have they can control. But if you when you go for epon throws, you need force behind it, and... With force is a somewhat subjective term. <laughs> so you tend to want to get as much behind it as you can to remove some of the discussion there if you're worried about it. And there was, But if you watch a lot of judo throws, especially there's a couple of them in particular, uh, especially if you get like the uchimata, which is kind of like the wizard kick, or the... Um, you can with the Seonagi, it's not, but that's um, that's an arm throw. What's the because uh, the Uchimata is half. Forget what the forget what the full. Because the, the Uchimata and the Wizard Kick, if you're a wrestler, are kind of the same thing. It's getting your leg in between their legs and then sweeping, but getting both of you getting your leg across both of their legs and then throwing. Um, is it's got a different name i think it translates more literally because most judo throws if you speak japanese makes sense it's just describing the thing like seonagi is a over the shoulder throw um and then this one i think of i think it translates to cross buttocks throw because again you're stepping both of your hip across both of theirs and you're throwing them over your hip it might be an uchimata and i'm confusing the wizard kick with another one or maybe they call it i don't know i assume they have different names for the techniques but it doesn't matter the point being, if you see some of those throws, again, kind of especially the one, the hip ones, or if you've got like a collar tie and then you try to go over the top, frequently the party throwing someone, the one who will win the fight based on the rules, winds up with their back taken or winds up rolled over because there's enough momentum going through it. Landing the throw and then settling into top position is actually a completely different skill than a lot of um, sport judo necessitates because if you're doing sport judo the objective is to win within the rule set and the i mean the rules always determine who wins doesn't matter what you're doing the rules determine who wins anything any game rules determine winner and if you give up your back throwing someone to the ground in judo it doesn't matter because you threw them and that's the goal it matters in mma because you don't want your back taken, as a general rule. So you see a lot of people go for that throw, and then they just kind of get their back taken. That happened a little bit here with Dern, 
it didn't matter as much in this case because the skill differential was so high that you, she could get away with it. There was another one in the, I think it was the fifth. Hill has her back uh, with, the, with the rear waist lock. And Dern gets a little bit of wrist control and then kind of modified Granby's forward. Normally when you do a Granby roll, you're trying to roll forward so that your opponent's face is going down while you're in the middle of your somersault kind of thing. This forces this will usually force them to break the tight waist and you can come up and you can you know, resume wrestling from there. There's a bunch of examples of like uh, stuff like this in MMA. The problem with the Granby roll, especially in MMA, the first time you do it, it works. The second time, it's only half successful. By the time you try it like three and four times, it's not working at all. Um, if you want to see that in real time, uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov and Abel Trujillo is a pretty good example of that. Because the first time Trujillo Granby rolls through on a mat return from Khabib, he gets completely free. Second time, not so much. Third time, Khabib's just rolling with him and has it dialed in. But she goes for one that there's actually... I'm pretty sure it's a judo, another judo throw, and I can't remember its name. And I'm not going to look through the laundry list of judo throws because there's too many of them. But it's kind of like a... Again, a little bit like a hip toss. Where instead of rolling straight forward, you kind of roll to the side. A little bit of force. And the reality is... If Dern could get away with this because she forced things to the mat and then is a better enough grappler than Hill to block the hooks from coming in, scramble around and get on top, which is what happened. Not really advisable for most of us. Most of the time, that doesn't work out very well. Like most of the time, the headlock throw doesn't work out very well because you wind up getting your back taken. But that's what but Dern did that in the fourth, so... She's finding slightly different ways to try and force things to the mat, but her takedowns in general still need a lot of work. She keeps going for these judo throws. I, I, I mean, after she wobbled Hill with that knee, she grabs, because she knows Hill's hurt, and tries to hit uh, yeah, another kind of hip toss. And it doesn't really work, and if she just ha if she'd had a better... Um, wrestling attack instead of what she tried to do there might have worked out a lot better for her. So that's still very much a work in progress, and that's still something she has to she has to work on. Her takedown average per 15 minutes coming into this fight was very low. Um, it was extremely low. So she needs to find more reliable ways of getting stuff to the ground. She showed a little bit of that here, and. If she's continuing to work on it, then fair play, but that's something that I still need... I need to see tested in a different area. Her striking is still a problem. She's got pretty good power. I mean, she rocked Hill twice, including dropping her, which is... Dude, Jessica Andrade hit Angela Hill with everything she had and couldn't drop her. Angela Hill is tough as nails. Um, so for Dern to sit her down like that, part of it was... A, Look, there's a lot that goes into a punch actually hurting you, aside, uh, aside from just raw punching power, but punching power is a component. So Dern's got some pop, but again, her defense is still a liability, and her offense is still very, very linear. Um, her pursuit of the fight is admirable, but that 
there there's refinement there that still needs to be worked on. In fact, a lot of the issues that Dern had, she might very well still have. But the matchup here and the stylistic clash rendered some of those vulnerabilities a non-issue. Um, so, again, I, I do think things are moving in the right direction for her. She showed some growth here. I think that's good. Um, again, the incorporation of Ground and Pound, she... She had some pretty nasty stuff going on here. Um, I imagined a few more months of like dedicated ground and pound work and drills with her. You might turn her into into you might turn her into a monster where people are begging her to just grab the arm. Like th I think that's possible for her. And she can generate some power in those short spaces. The addition of kicks and knees uh, on the feet, very nice addition. Part of the other problem that she was running into earlier was her offense was very punch-oriented. She, she and Hill both threw some nice elbows. Her clinch game still needs work. I don't... I get the impression she doesn't spend a lot of time there. She views the clinch as more transitional. And... With her ability to generate some power in short spaces, it might behoove her to spend a lot... to just dedicate more time to clinch fighting. Instead of only viewing it as a means to try and get takedowns. Because, again, that was a big weakness in the past, what she was doing in the clinch. She incorporated more clinch offense here. I, again, I get, the, I get the impression she's doing it as a means to an... Uh, as a step along the way to either break free or transition to a takedown. Instead of doing it just for its own sake. And that's, that's a strategic and a, and a mind shift. But I think it's one that, again, might benefit her. Um, the cardio, I mentioned already, looked very good. So still some stuff that might need to be sorted out. But incremental progress. Like she, part of the problem with some of her previous fights, fight over fight, was you weren't seeing much progress. And that's a problem. Here, I think we finally, for the first time in a while... I feel like there was some definitive progress made from her last fight to this one. And if this continues, I think that uh, I think that bodes very well for her. There's a, she's always had a lot of ability. And seeing part of it really start to come to fruition here, uh, if she's able to maintain the progress and the development, she could be a real problem for that division. She's already not an easy out, but she could be a serious problem. Post-fight, she said she would like either a rematch with Yan Xiaonan, seems unlikely, or a fight with Rose Nama Yunus. That... That's interesting. I don't know that I like her chances all that much. Um, Rose's footwork and... Punching power and accuracy, I think, will give Dern a heap of problems. But Rose has been out physical in the past. That's been a problem for her on occasion. And Dern is very physical. So, 
Rose is also a little bit accommodating of people who take her down. Not not the most accommodating, but like Zhang Wiley was able to out-wrestle her for long stretches of their second fight. And if Rose was struggling from underneath Zhang, and Zhang's physically strong, but Zhang's also not nearly the guard passer or the, I might even say not even sure she's the same ground and pound threat that Dern represents, although I'm not as, that one I'm not as confident in because Zhang has serious power. And I, I think Zhang just hasn't dedicated a lot of her efforts to that in the past, so. No, no, Zhang's actually, sorry, I'm rethinking some of Zhang's past fights. No, Zhang's done some damage. I take that back. Zhang's probably the better ground and pounder, but again, Zhang not a big passing threat, not a big submission threat, whereas Dern is. So, I don't know. Um, again, I would favor Rose in that fight, but I, we also don't know what's up with Rose, so we'll see. Uh, the rematch with Jan... If Jan hadn't um, done what she did against Jessica Andrade, I think that might be more reasonable. But as it stands, Jan is probably your next contender after, and we'll talk about this fight that got made, and that got announced when we got to fight announcements. But assuming no shenanigans with um, Zhang Weili's next fight, uh, Jan Xiaonan and Zhang Weili as an all-China main event, especially if the UFC can get another event somewhere in China, um, that's probably too good a deal to pass up. It would be my hunch. Uh, as for Angela Hill, I don't know. I'm not trying to bag on Angela Hill with what I'm about to say here, because I've been very down on Angela Hill for long stretches of her career, perhaps unfairly. She's a reliable fighter. She has some physical tools. And she's been she's been a pretty good analyst. And she's again, she's been a she's been a workhorse for the UFC, which they don't care about because they're the UFC. They I have to listening to fighters come out and just kiss the UFC boot every week. I'm going to say this, fighters, to, on the off chance any of you are listening or anyone who knows a fighter, like, I don't care what they say to you, they don't love you, and they never will. Don't fall into that. The promoter is not your friend. Please, don't do that. Um, but, eh, and look, I'm not saying that Hill's been naive or anything. She's been around for a while. Uh, I'm sure she... I'm sure she is fairly compensated. Well, fighters aren't fairly compensated in general, but uh, her schedule has probably done well enough for her bank account. But here's the thing with Hill at this point. Uh, she's 38. That's... Uh... You age differently in fighting, depending on the division and whatnot, and fair play. But 30, 38's time to be looking. You better know. You better have your exit strategy. You better have it, because you're not gonna. Ha Angela Hill, I feel pretty confident in saying this. I kinda, I doubt she's fighting in the UFC in three years. 
I really doubt that. I might be wrong, but she's 38. She's Hill is not only a... I hate to say this as a giant negative. This is a statement of fact. She's nearly a 500 fighter. She has she has a record of 15 and 13. Now, there's a chunk of split decisions in there that you want to argue, fine. I'm not saying you couldn't make the argument. I'm saying she did lose them. She's got, so, 28 total fights. The vast majority of those have been in the UFC. Like, her second ever professional fight was her UFC debut. She won that, lost to... Uh, she went down to Invicta for, what, four fights? Yeah, she had a four-fight stretch in Invicta. Won all of them. And ever since has been in the UFC. So, of her, what what I say, 28 fights? 23 of them have been in the UFC. And the vast majority of those. Take a quick look at this, actually. Um, yeah, of her, so again, also of her 28 fights, 22 have gone the distance. That's a lot of miles. Um, so I. Again, between the age and the miles, my hunch is she's closer to the end than the beginning. Um, this was... Barring a couple of fights where she just got run over, this might be the worst beating Angela Hill's ever taken. Again, her face was lumped up by the end of this one. I imagine she'll be fine. Uh, I don't think she's going to retire tomorrow, barring a catastrophic injury. But... My hunch is the end is coming sooner rather than later for her. Um, yeah, that was your main event. That was your fight of the night. I agree. A little bit one side. It's on my list of like, but I have a giant list now that I'm keeping of like potential fight of the year candidates. It's on there, but I don't think it'll wind up placing. It's a bit too one sided for what I generally look at in fight of the year. But we'll see. I don't object to this being your fight of the night at all. Uh, I think it was fair. Co-main event. Anthony Hernandez defeats Edmund Shabazian via TKO, punches and elbows, 101 of the third. Um, uh, I Where does Shabazian train at the moment? I know he used to be one of the Glendale guys. He was one of, um, what's-his-face, Edmund's guys. Um, okay, he's at Extreme Couture for the last couple of fights. Here's the problem with, and I don't mean this technically for Shabazian. This happens to a lot of people, and I'm going to use him as an example. This is exhibit. This is not boo on Shabazian, okay? I'm not here to pile on the guy. He came into the UFC having never been out of the first round. Then he fights to a split decision with Darren Stewart. I kind of thought he lost. 
Gets back on the first round finish train, wins over Charles Bird, Jack Marshman, and Brad Tavares, and then fights Derek Brunson, and the wheels fall off. So, I'm going to talk about this a little bit with Chase Hooper as well. Um, Hooper got a win, whereas Shabazzian did not here, but I'm going to make a similar point. Coming into the UFC with less than 10 fights is risky for anyone. Coming into the UFC very young is risky. Because the physical damage you can take can violently derail your development. To say nothing of the psychological damage. And yet, look, not to be all weird about it, but fighting is psychologically damaging. I don't just mean like physically brain damaging. Violence is a traumatic thing. This it, if you're worried about me going soft, not going soft. This is a statement of fact. Being on the receiving end of violence is traumatic. Doing violence is traumatic. They they even if you go your entire life without ever taking a solid blow to the head, if you do violence to other people, it does damage your brain. It, it is traumatic to your brain. Again, the same way being on the wrong end of violence, and even if you don't want to say physical violence. If you are just the victim of persistent emotional and verbal abuse, yeah, it, again, the brain's response to that is can be categorized as traumatic. So, again, I promise I'm not going soft here, <laughs> Okay. Being on the wrong end of that in the wrong ways at the wrong time in your life, especially if this is your profession, will throw everything out of whack. Two things about Shabazian here. One, what happened to him in the Derek Brunson fight, where he had a decent enough first round but then got out-wrestled and just abused? I'm not saying you should have this exact experience in the gym, because I'm not the biggest proponent of hard sparring. Certainly it's overuse in some places. That's a very broad overview, so don't kill me for that take, people, please. But if the first time you ever seriously get your butt kicked is... And I mean, like, again, I mean... Yeah, this doesn't mean you are physically destroyed, but you know when you get your butt kicked. If the first time you are seriously on the wrong end of that is when it's for real, something has gone wrong. I don't believe in hazing guys. I don't believe in it because a lot of boxing gyms will do this. Like, you know, you show up, you sign up, and then first day they throw you in there with some killer who beats the crap out of you. And like, oh, it's character building and it's making a point. No, look. If you have someone who needs to know how much they don't know about boxing, your boxing gym should have one of the guys there who's been there for a while, so they know what they're doing, who can competently demonstrate the skill gap without hurting anybody. And I understand there's a fine line there. I really do. Again, I'm not... I have not solved this problem here pontificating from my, into my microphone here. Um, but I, I do take issue with some of how, how some boxing gyms do that. And some people bring that on themselves. And if you go in there with a giant attitude, you, you, you kind of get what you ask for in some respects. But 
the long and the short of that is the first time you face that kind of serious physical adversity should not be downrange. Should not be when live rounds are coming at you. You should have, in the course of your training, at some point, been in a scenario where you got your where you got your bell rung. And again, I'm not advocating head trauma, but if you're going to fight for a living, the first time you get hit in the face really hard should not be when it's for real. That goes. That is. That's just a bad sign of things to come. I don't think that Edmund Shabazian. I don't think he was coddled in the gym. That would be a wild misread. But because of where he was training, I don't think he was ever put in the positions that Derek Brunson put him in until it was Derek Brunson doing it and smashing the crap out of him with elbows. And that's a real, like, you don't want to learn that lesson that time that way. That needs to be taught and experienced under controlled circumstances first so you know what to do, so you know what it feels like. Because otherwise you got nothing. And he didn't for a while. Dude, you watch that stretch, man. That, like, Brunson, Hermanson, Imovov stretch. Shabazian doesn't know what to do off of his back. Especially in some of the positions. Like, his guard isn't the worst thing in the world. But he had no idea how to escape really bad positions. No idea. And it got him hurt. And it got him hurt badly. Like, Brunson messed him up. Hermanson did a number on him all fight. Imovov messed him up. And here, Hernandez, Hernandez kind of messed him up too, man. What I saw from the beginning of this fight from Shabazian was better. And some of the stuff from the Dolce Lunghi and Bula fight was a little promising. Again, he's with a better camp now. And saying that Extreme Couture is a better gym than Glendale Fight Club should not be a controversial proposition. But... There's some things that just he's going to struggle with. His cardio is a problem. I don't know. I don't know that moving up to light heavyweight would help him. Because a lot of what he does is predicated on certain physical advantages that he wouldn't have there. But I don't know how much that weight cut is helping him either at this point. His cardio is an issue. He's very good for the first three and a half to four minutes. Uh, He landed on Hernandez. He did a decent job kind of keeping distance and clinch breaking, but the more pressure was applied, the more he just kind of fell apart. Now, some of that is Anthony Hernandez, okay? The, The dude just comes forward, he gets after it, and he will ride you down over and over and over again. He will beat you up along the way until you give him something. And that's kind of what happened here. Um, Hernandez is good. I, I mentioned it last week, man. You know, the Lungi and Bula fight was, as cl- was a little bit of a softer touch for Shabazian. You know, Lungi and Bula is, I don't know that he's a UFC caliber fighter. I, I hate to phrase it that way, especially since that has lost him a lot of its meaning, but 
I don't think he's won in the UFC. He might be like one and two or one and three. So I don't even know if he's still there. Like that, that's your rebound fight. And he's still a dangerous guy, but you know, if you're a if you're a good caliber UFC fighter, you should beat guys like that. He went from that to one of the worst matchups he could have got. Um, Hernandez, Hernandez, is a t- he's a tough fight for anybody. Um, he was, he was real tough here. Uh, just relentless pressure, relentless attacks, relentless clinch work, wrestling, mat returns. Damage along the way, submission threats along the way. He had a couple of close sub attempts. He goes for that seated arm triangle. It's the choke he caught Adolfo Vieira with. Uh, he's, he goes. He went for that a few times. He had a tight little anaconda choke going at one point that Shabazian fought out of. Um, Hernandez is a very good fighter, and he just worked over Shabazian. Um, I think there are probably still a few positives for Shabazian, but and he's he's with a good he's with a better camp. That still takes time. It takes time for coaches and fighters to figure each other out. It takes time for the fighter to learn a new system and the coach to adapt their system to the individual fighter because that's really how this works. You can have your fighting system, coaches, trainers. But your system has to be adaptable to a certain degree because fighters are not factory assembled. They don't, right? They're all different. They all have different skills. They all have different abilities. They all have different physiques and physicalities. And you figure out how does my fight style and how does my philosophy and system meld with what this fighter does really well and in theory you come up with something that works. It just takes some time. I'm not... So I'm not ready to completely throw Shabazian out with the bathwater. But... It's also kind of to the point where I'm not sure... Being in the UFC is doing him many favors. So, I imagine Hernandez fights somebody ranked next, and fair play to him, he's earned it. This was four in a row, I think. His overall UFC record is quite good. Yeah. Um, he is overall 5-2 and two with one no contest. Um, okay, he got... So, sorry, his UFC debut turned into a no contest after marijuana, and I kind of roll my eyes at that. So he's lost to Marcus Perez and Kevin Holland. Both legitimate losses. Um, but the four-fight winning streak is good. Three of those are finishes. Um, he's probably due a step up. So, again, don't know who exactly, but I expect him to fight a ranked guy next. Someone, you know, low, low end of the top 15. At a catchweight fight of 120 pounds, um, Emily Ducati was supposed to fight uh, Poliana Viana. Instead, uh, Viana falls out. Lupita Godinez steps in. Godinez wins a unanimous decision, 130-27 to 29-28. I don't have a whole lot to say here. Um, yeah, Godinez just a little bit more power. Moved her head a little bit when she struck. Ducati didn't. Wasn't great. Um, welterweights, Joaquin Buckley defeats Andre Fialho via TKO. This was a head kick, 4-15 uh, to the second. Um, Buckley at welterweight? There's still issues. 
Um, his blitz attack is kind of predictable. But it's only the blitz. Like, when he's actually kind of just standing right about range and throwing, he's, he's still powerful, he's still dangerous. Um, he'd fought at 170 earlier in his career. Um, in fact, his Bellator run, I think, when he was there was at 170. So, I'm not calling him the next you know, welterweight title threat or anything. He's calling himself that because he's a fighter. Um, but he got a good finish here. He looked pretty good. Um, yeah, all in all, successful fight for him. Uh, he looked again. I was worried that the weight cut was going to be a bit much. Like he would have lost a lot of mass. Um, he didn't lose that much. I mean, he lost enough to get down to 170. But it seemed like he was kind of carrying around a lot of excess weight. And I don't mean fat or water weight, but just like he had he had the stuff to lose, apparently, because he lost it. He says he feels great. You know, he's at this point just managing his diet a little bit better and his lifestyle. And if that's largely what you need to do, fair play. You know, he's not horribly outsized here in terms of his height. Good win for him. Uh, Sucks for Fialho, who fought the first round pretty well. I think he still lost it, but he fought pretty well, then just kind of got into his old habits a little bit in the second and got head kicked for it. Um, Decent little fight here. Lightweight. Oh, boy. Carlos Diego Fajaya knocked Michael Johnson into next year uh, with a right hand, 150 of the second. Uh, Almost identical to how... Uh, Josh Emmett knocked out Michael Johnson, actually. You can put those two side by side, and they are very similar. Um, Fajaya, I don't know if this was a deliberate setup or what, but he'd been throwing counter kicks, the right leg in particular, because Johnson's southpaw, so open stance. He was kind of, anytime Johnson closed distance, like parrying and then throwing up kind of a body kick, and not the greatest kick in the world. But if that's just your setup... It worked because he takes the outside foot position. Uh, Johnson seems to think either a lower punch is coming or the kick because his rear hand goes to scoop, you know, to do the uh, downward parry. Uh, what do you call it? A circle parry or a scoop or whatever you want to call it. There's a million different names for the same thing. But he goes for that and it leaves his head open and the right hand comes through and just turns the lights off. He falls stiff as a board. Ankles crossed when he's down. Like, oof. Bad knockout. Bad knockout. Nice win for Fajera. Uh, excuse me, Fajera. The double R's in H, so yeah, Fajera. Um, he needed that one. He's on a three-fight losing streak again. Like, Daryush, and that was split. I thought Daryush won, but good fight. Gregor Gillespie, and then Mateusz Gamrot, like, all in 2021. That's a murderer's row. Um, the Gamrot one in particular, that was bad. Gamrot got him good, but... Uh, so he needed the win. He got it. Sucks for Johnson, who is... He's 36. So again, he's not the oldest guy in the world, but he's had 40 fights. A lot of fights. 36 at lightweight, too, between featherweight and lightweight. He's been a lightweight since, um, 19. 2019. Uh, but, dude, how long has he been in the UFC? Yeah, 10. So he's got 13 years in the UFC. Career overall dating back to 2000. 
eight. Um, but 13 years in the UFC, man, that's a long time. England specifically? Okay, December. So his 13th year, he's in his 13th year. 13 will come December. But that's a long time, man. And that many fights. I mean, he's another guy, like, almost at 500, right? 21 and 19 overall. That's close. That's real close. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what the future holds for him. He's probably going to stick around the UFC for a little bit longer still. But it was a bad knockout. Just no two ways around. That was a bad knockout. On the prelims, um, Vyacheslav Borshev defeated Mahashte via TKO. Really nice combo, 237 to the second. Fun little fight here. Um, Borshev just a little bit more technical. Uh, Mahashte, he got his in though, man. He landed some pretty good strikes along the way. There was an unfortunate eye poke that seemed that um, might have stopped this fight. Um, Borshev's left eye. It was in the first, I think, that it happened. Um, there was a cut kind of up on the eyelid, but like under the eyebrow, so really high up there. Uh, that started swelling. He said in the post-fight, like, yeah, I, I still can't see very well. He's talking to Michael Bisbing, who I can who can commiserate with about eye injuries. Uh, but he, he persevered, and bless him for it, um... Finally got to show a little bit more of what he's capable of as it was being wrestled to death. So, pretty good finish. Um, catch weight of 117 pounds because Vanessa Demopoulos missed weight. Karolina Kovalkiewicz defeats Demopoulos via unanimous decision. 30-27 across the board. Demopoulos is more known as a jiu-jitsu player, but boy, she can't get the fight down there to save her life. She's got decent power. And they just struck it out for the whole three rounds, basically. And Kovalkiewicz landed better and more often all the way through. Fairly academic. Uh, our other missed weight here, um, Orion Kosi missed weight. Gilbert Urbina defeated him. Uh, front kick to the body and then a couple of knees, 255 of the second. Urbina was, um, he looked pretty good here. Took him a little bit to get going, but he's rangy for welterweight. Uh, he'd been off for a while. He lost... He fought Brian Battle in the finale of that stupid tough season. And he took that fight on short notice and up at middleweight. Lost. And he had he took time off to really kind of refine himself. And reintroducing himself here at welterweight, he looked pretty good. A uh, lot of body work. He was dropping some hellacious elbows to the body uh, when he, anytime he got on top. One of which seems to have damaged one of the ribs of Kosi. Mentioned it between rounds. And then just front kicks from Urbina. One of them finally hits just wrong and locks him up. Couple of knees that were perfunctory. That fight was done. Really good reintroduction for Gilbert Urbina here. Heavyweights. Blah. Um, Rodrigo Nascimento defeats Alir Latifi via split decision. 29-28. Don't get the split. Um... Yeah, I don't really get the split. But this was crappy heavyweights. Lightweight. Chase Hooper defeated Nick Fiore via unanimous decision at 30-26 and then two 30-27s. I can see the 30-26, I think, first. 
Um, Booper was a guy I was a little worried about after his last fight because he got the crap beat out of him in that one, man. But he moves up to lightweight. Seems to be helping him. He's still, his defense is still porous. Nick Fiore is not exactly a scintillating striker, and he was landing on him. Um, Hooper just persevered through it, kept a high pace, kept good offense, had some fun grappling exchanges. I, again, that defense from Hooper, he has got to fix it, man. The thought here was these two guys are predominantly grapplers. Um, Nick Fiore is like one of the jiu-jitsu coaches at uh, the New England cartel. That was like uh, Rob Font, Calvin Cater, that team. So that was a little bit more like he wasn't fighting a very good striker, and he still took some damage. Someone who really knows what they're doing is going to... And Lightweight has some of those guys. I... Hooper's another one of these people, man. Like, he came to the UFC. He had more than 10 fights. But he came in at, like, 19. He came into the UFC with literally 10. Um, but, man, there's someone at Lightweight who's going to do to him what Steve Garcia did. And... He, again, man, that, that's the kind of stuff that you really... The Garcia fight, when I watched that, like, you shouldn't be having this experience the first time in the cage. Again, somebody in training at some point should have been able to demonstrate everything that Garcia did so that he could react better. Because he reacted badly to everything Garcia did. Reacted a little better here, but I also think that... Uh, two things, and I'm not sure which is more important. I think lightweight is better for his frame. It's a, He doesn't have to cut as much weight, and he's a fairly lanky guy. So, lightweight was probably inevitable, given he's still physically maturing. So, that probably helps. But Fiore not having a lot of oomph and not having a lot of technical acumen on the feet probably helped a lot, too. So I I don't know I'm still not sure what exactly is gonna happen with Hooper, um, but we're gonna find out. So because again he got a win here and not the worst win in the world. It's a decent enough little fight. Uh, women's flyweight ooh Natalia Silva defeats Victoria Leonardo via TKO punches and a head kick, 258 of the first. Um, Silva just beat the crap out of... Silva was like a minus 900 favorite, looked every bit, every bit that. Just mollywhopped her. Um, yeah, that was, that was just beating. And kicking everything off, uh, Temba Gorimbo defeated Takashi Sato of the unanimous decision 30-27 across the board. Uh, I had more hope for Sato in this one, but a little bit too easy giving up the back. And that kind of just iced long stretches of the fight. A little bit too eager to clinch, which prevented him from finding stuff later on. But um, you know, decent enough rebound from Gorimbo after his debut. Also, man, he... He had some stuff to say uh, after the fact. Apparently, again, his side of things, but a lot of his like family members turned on him after his after he lost his debut. They're like, nope, we don't know you. You know, this, yeah. 
that's a rough feeling. Um, also talked about, you know, being broke preparing for this fight. Gonna say this. If you're fighting in the UFC, you should not be broke. That's not about his poor... That's not me saying that Garimbo has poor fi- uh, financial management. It's me saying it's embarrassing that fighters for the biggest organization in the world, a billion-dollar company, are... A multi-billion-dollar company now because they're going to merge with the WWE. But even if we just look at the UFC side of things, it's still a billion-dollar enterprise. Your fighter's begging for $50,000 bonuses, which doesn't even catch up with... Caught, uh, which hasn't even kept place with inflation. And telling stories about, yeah, I'm broke. You get away with this because MMA journalists aren't journalists. They're glorified PR for the most part. But that's a terrible look. And again, what he said, you know, Colby Covington was the one bringing him food when he was broke. Like, no, I don't have enough to eat. Colby was feeding him. I'm going to say this again. This is not just about Colby Covington, mind you. If you... Because I'm not here to say anything... I'm not here to advocate for Covington, okay? Here's what I'm saying. If your perception of someone who not only lives a chunk of their life in the public eye, but lives a chunk of their life in the public eye in an avenue that has a vested interest in generating emotional response. Not saying your reaction to that isn't fair. They're choosing to do that. Your reaction is fair. I am saying, understand, please, that's not reality. I'm not saying Colby doesn't have views, doesn't genuinely have views that you might violently disagree with. Please don't do violence, but you know what I mean. Like, couldn't be, almost couldn't be more opposite to your worldview. Okay. Not saying you have to agree with him. I'm not saying, and I'm not even saying that he, whether or not he holds those. He might hold some of those. He gets that he's in basically, and you might hate this. I don't like it myself, but, you know, there's a, how do I phrase this? Okay, well, let me say something that might piss off a lot of MMA fans. MMA has more in common with professional wrestling than it does other combat sports. The history between MMA and pro wrestling is... I mean, that's what pro wrestling basically came out of. Pro wrestling evolved out of, way back in the day, catches catch can wrestling events. That's what they used to be. And then pro wrestling spun out of that because wrestling is hard. And it's easier if we agree to work it. And well, if we're going to agree to work it, shouldn't we, you know, what do we do from there? And you, again, that's that's a whole thing. But, you know, the, the history of catch wrestling basically spins off into both MMA eventually and professional wrestling. Their roots are very, very much intertwined, more so than boxing more so than kickboxing, MMA and pro wrestling are... There's been market research done on this. Um, like, um, what was it? Was it Nielsen? One of those like big research companies 
did a look at you know, studies and whatnot of people who watch MMA. Most people who watch MMA do not watch boxing, do not watch football, do not watch hockey or baseball or basketball or any of the other major sports. They do watch pro wrestling. That overlap is legitimate. And fans don't, a lot of fans don't like it. But it's real and they try to dismiss it, which is stupid because it's history, it's real. Can't rewrite history to fit your narrative. Sorry, don't care what side of the political aisle you're on. Don't do that. History is history. We have to learn from it. But the look at the fighters that really took off, man. How many of them, on some level, got that this is pro wrestling? That the presentation of this is pro wrestling? Dude, even the guys who take this super seriously... And I don't mean to just cast this in pro wrestling terms, but even someone like Habib, like that, that man, there's nothing gimmicked about Habib. But tell me that his overall presentation isn't reminiscent of certain elements of professional wrestling. It is. He just takes it very, very seriously, and he is himself. Colby, my hunch is, again, knows. I'm not again. I'm not saying he's a complete 180 from his gimmick, but rather it's like parts of me turned up to 11, which is how, like, that's kind of the ideal pro wrestling gimmick, isn't it? So you're not faking it the whole time. Take something about yourself, crank it up, and let people react. But if you think that that's reality, you're going to be sadly mistaken. I don't know whether or not Colby Covington is a decent human being. I don't know the man at all. Never met him, never interacted with him in any capacity. I know that there are a bunch of stories about what he does when he's not mugging for the camera. Some of that is... you know, he uh, Again, these stories came out a little bit ago, but... For years, on his own time, on his own dime, he would go to do stuff with the troops. Because that matters to him. And that was not really publicized. Wasn't a big deal made out of it. But when the UFC did kind of start yeah, promoting him a little bit, you could people came forward with those stories. Like, yeah, he's been coming for years to you know, do stuff with the armed forces. He, in this case, helped out financially and otherwise a guy who was fighting for the UFC and was broke. Again, I, I have no idea if the character of Colby Covington in its entirety. None whatsoever. I am saying if you think he's nothing but the slogan-spouting, loudmouth jackass that he is to get to garner attention in a sport that mandates you be attention-seeking, you will not have taken near the measure of him, or anybody else for that matter. How many guys, let me reverse this real fast. You know, for how long did Matt Hughes kind of trot himself out as the clean-cut, down-home, all-around good boy, good guy country boy? How much of that was total crap? How much? 
you know, turns out most of it. This goes both ways. So I'm not only here advocating for the sort of villain of a scenario. The guys like George St. Pierre, the guys who come out here and say, I'm a good guy. I'm not perfect, but I'm a good person. And they present themselves that way. And who actually are, that's small, man. That is a very, very small percentage of the fighters who are what they say they are in that respect. So all I'm saying about that, again, not saying Colby's a good guy. Don't know him. I'm saying, again, if you think what he is on camera is what he is in totality, you're going to be mistaken. And that's true of anybody. You listening to me right now, I don't know what you think of me. But I guarantee you that you do not have all of it. Because you, we interact in this capacity. So, hopefully you think well of me. At least well enough to keep listening. Um, but again, like you... If you had to, you know, sum up my character, you couldn't do it. And that's okay, because I'm just here doing this, and you're doing your thing, and that's cool. But I, look, this is true of everyone I podcast with. I know, because I'm pretty good friends with most of the people I talk with. Not all of them, but most. If all you had to go on was what is discussed on air you would not have a very, you wouldn't have the clearest picture of them. Good, bad, and otherwise. So anyway, that was the event. Uh, again, pretty necessary win for Garimbo. Nothing world-shattering, but he needed that after his debut. And Sato, Sato might be done. Uh, he's only 32, but again, like he might be done in the UFC. That's four in a row. That's, what's his UFC record? Two and five. Yeah, he's probably going to get cut. And I don't like saying that, but it's probably what's next. So, all right. Uh, your fight of the night I mentioned was Mackenzie Dern and Angela Hill. Performance bonuses went to Carlos Diego Fajaya and Vyacheslav Borshev. I'm not going to argue with that. Um, yeah, I'm not arguing with that at all. You could have gone... You could have gone like Urbina instead of Borshev. I mean, Fajaya was getting one. That was a given after that knockout. Oof. Uh, again, you you maybe could have gone a few other ways. Um, again, you maybe could have gone Silva over Borshev, maybe. But I'm not complaining about Borshev getting it. Perfectly fine allocation of funds. If you want the full report, it's in the MMA Zone of 411mania.com, including clips of finishes such as they exist when I can find when I get them from the UFC's website, or UFC, the official relevant Twitter accounts. So give that a read if you're so inclined. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. All right, let me. Oh, that took longer than I thought. All right, let's talk briefly about um, Devin Haney and Vasily Lomachenko. They had a darn good fight. Before I talk about what I'm going to talk about. Um, the action itself, very good. High-paced. Both men have moments, some nice momentum swings. Um, really good fight. Really good boxing fight. So if you're at all interested, look it up. 
pretty darn good fight. Here's my issue. I Cards on the table. I scored this for Lomachenko. I think it was 116-112 for Loma. I'm not saying you can't find a... I'm not saying you can't find a win for Devin Haney here. There's There were several rounds that were real close. Um, I, I was watching this kind of chatting with my friend Pat Mullen about it, and he was more vociferously for Loma than I was here. And that's fine. He might even be more correct than I am. Um, but I've, I've... So, but having sat on this for a night and thought about it, I don't think 7-5 to five Haney is the end of the world. I don't agree. Let me preface this. I don't agree. But I don't think it's the craziest thing. Here's the problem. Um, one of those scorecards was 116-112 for Devin Haney, which I do not find... I, that seems a bit too much. The others were um, 115, 114. So again, that was like, yeah, that's seven to six. Um, or seven to five, sorry for a 12 rounder. And again, I don't agree, but I can kind of see it. The, um, but again, I was 116, 112, so, oh, what's the math on that? Sorry, I forget exactly. Like eight to four? Yeah, that's eight, four, because then it's seven, five, six, six. So I think it was eight, four for Loma, and uh, Pat was like uh, 9-3, I think he was. Um, the problem is, he, here's the big problem. Okay, One of the judges was Dave Moretti. I yelled about Dave Moretti after the fight between um, Tank, Gervonta Tank Davis and Ryan Garcia. Because Dave Moretti that incompetent, doddering buffoon scored the second round of that fight at 10-10. That's the round where Davis dropped Garcia. Now, for those of you who don't know, in boxing, if you get dropped, that's like that's like an automatic point deduction. If you get dropped, you're pretty much losing that round 10-8. It's possible to do enough to gain back the point and still lose the round 10-9. I think one of the judges did that. Might have been both, actually. Which I don't agree with for that fight, by the way. But I can see the argument that Ryan Garcia did enough after getting dropped to get back to losing 10-9. Scoring that round a draw is criminal. In this fight, Moretti's not only one of the judges, he scores round 10 for Devin Haney. Let me tell you guys this. Rounds 10, 11, and 12... Clearest rounds of the fight, all for Lomachenko. Um, okay, 12, 12 is a little bit more iffy, but 10 and 11 should have been the easiest rounds to score. Scoring that round for Haney, again, 
that should be criminal. This uh, geriatric, and he's 70. Dude's in his 70s. He should have to answer for this. This is two big fights in a row. This guy has categorically screwed the pooch. Now, I don't know if this is corruption or incompetence. Because corruption requires specific evidence, and I don't have it. But you give that second round of Garcia and Davis a 10-10, then you give round 10 here to Haney. My man, you should not be doing this anymore. Either because you are corrupt or you suck. And it doesn't matter which. Unless you're worried about legal issues. Then yeah, you better know the difference. But this guy should not be doing this anymore. Moretti has been a miserable judge for decades. This is one of the guys who screwed Marvin Hagler, by the way. If you've never seen the fight between Sugar Ray Leonard and Marvin Hagler, one, watch it. It's a great fight. Two... His scorecard for that fight in favor of Leonard, indefensible. I maintain Hagler should have won that fight, period. That fight was not that close. That fight was not as close as people made it out to be. Leonard was... uh, Leonard knew how to make it look like he was winning when he was losing. Uh, And Moretti's one of the guys who screwed Hagler on that one. Okay, this guy was like judging... He's been judging fights longer than I've been alive, I think. This should not be allowed. Okay? And I'm not an ageist in this respect. Try not to be ageist at all. But this notion that time and age gives wisdom is not true. This is demonstrably not true. Plenty of analysis has been done about this in officiating in several other sports, too. This is true of, uh, uh, like, umpires in Major League Baseball. They did the data on this. Like, what's the... Who are the best... Who are the best umpires by age bracket? Who are the worst? The new guys aren't great, and the old guys aren't great. There's actually a sweet spot in there. But because you get tenure at some point... I'm being facetious here. I don't know that there's literally tenure for umpires in Major League Baseball. But you just are there. Forever. Moretti should not be judging fights anymore. Period. Um, I thought Loma won. Again, having sat on it and thought about it, I don't agree with a Haney scorecard, but I think you might be able to make the argument. I really don't agree with Moretti's in particular because it he mailed that, let's be very clear, Dave Moretti turned that scorecard in last week. Right? He mailed that in. Ugh. Now, nothing will happen. Nothing will happen. Nothing happened to him after the, the debacle of his scorecard with... Thank heavens Gervonta Davis got the knockout. Dude, he was on track to being screwed in that fight. And they screwed Loma here. Moretti, I don't know about the other two. Again, I'm willing to accept that you might, in good conscience, try to be able to find a Haney scorecard in there. I don't agree with you at all. For the rec- Again, for the record, don't agree with you. But I might be able to 
believe that you are acting in good faith. I can't do that with Moretti's card, man. I just can't do it. There's, it's inexplicable. And it's inexcusable. And he should be removed from this job. He can't do it anymore. He just he can't do this consistently. And the only ones suffering are the fighters. Moretti ain't suffering. The commission ain't suffering. They're still they're doing their thing, but I said this a few weeks ago, I'm gonna repeat it. It is not hard. It's not easy, but it's not too hard to get government bureaucracies, and that's what the state athletic commissions are. They are government bureaucracies. You can get them to make bad decisions. You can get them to do it. It can it takes inroads and some cronyism and financial incentives and that do, not all of those are even necessarily have to be illegal, but that ha, those have to be in place and you can get them to do it. Or corruption. Like if you're top down corrupt and uh, some of the stuff that came out about the I don't talk politics here unless it deliberately intersects with what I'm talking about. Suffice to say that since I'm talking about government bureaucracies and how they can be manipulated, top-down works too, for the record. But in this instance, like you can, Dana White got the Nevada State Athletic Commission to sanction tra- brain trauma for money. I imagine if they're going to sanction power slap, somebody out there has to be trying to sanction like just nut shots, right? That has to be a thing someone's trying to do. Someone out there is trying to say, look, it's power slap, but we take turns kicking each other in the groin. That has to be a thing someone's trying to do. And because they're not Dana White with his connections and his money, it won't happen. But again, that's the thing. I mean, I just want someone to make Nevada try and justify their exclusion of other rule sets for MMA. But, you know, that's just me. Uh, but, look, you can get them to do it. You can get them to make mistakes. You can get them to hire the wrong people. But, once they commit to that course of action, getting them to change course, getting them to admit wrongdoing, they will collectively jump head first into, I don't know, some bowl of whatever infectious diseases you want to imagine. I think my usual thing is they'll drink a gallon of bleach before admitting they were wrong. Bureaucracies, getting them to change, especially change where they have to theoretically admit wrongdoing, even like tacitly admit wrongdoing. They won't do it. Nothing is going to happen to this bozo out there screwing fighters. Nothing. It's a shame. It should be criminal. Dude, I yelled about this with... I briefly did this with um, a couple of weeks ago. There was a boxing fight I watched. It was um, Rolly Romero and Ismael Barroso. Tony Weeks screwed Ismael Barroso. Straight up screwed him with that stoppage. And nothing's going to happen about it. You think Tony Weeks is going to be called to answer for that decision? No. He's not. Nothing's going to happen to Moretti here unless someone decides to hit him with a fish. And you know what? If you do, God bless you. Um, That guy should not, he shouldn't be doing this. He just straight up should not be doing this. I will, look, again, I'm going to take off my 
uh, if I could take off my fair and balanced cap for a moment to the extent that I'm fair and balanced. Lomachenko should have won that fight. Straight up. And in particular, that Moretti scorecard, he should be investigated, man. Something. He can't do the job. Can we just say this publicly? If he's turning in the scorecards he's been turning in, he can't do the job. Fire him. We've lost that. Somehow, in the... I don't exactly know what confluence of veneration of tenure and workers' rights and self-protectionism and, again, like just the, the nature of government, the, the ponderous nature of government. I don't know what combination of these disparate forces concocted this miasmic chimera of crap that is athletic commissions, especially Nevada's. But here we are, and it's only fighters getting screwed. All right, that's my rant on that. I feel a little bit better. Uh, so let's move on. Otherwise, I'll start repeating myself. So the UFC dropped a bunch of fight announcements. Um, I'll talk about Ngannou after this. Let me do the UFC fight announcements first. Big one, because I think it's the most likely to actually happen. Uh, UFC 291 was announced for actually the Delta Center. They renamed it again. Good. Here in Salt Lake. I am, if I, if I owned a laptop, man, I don't own one, um, so I couldn't actually cover the event per usual. If I did, I would, I would, I would submit credential requests for this one. I uh, don't know, the UFC must have had a really good time when they brought their last card here, because that was the, um, the Usman Edwards title fight, the first one, and uh, Jose Aldo's last fight, in MMA at least, um, after 278, apparently the between the crowd and whatever else, they, I think Dana said after the fact, like, yeah, we had a great experience. We're looking to come back. So they brought this card. And again, I'm complaining about very little about what's been announced so far. Main event, rematch, hook this into my veins. I've been asking for this for years. Dustin Poirier versus Justin Gagey 2. Mmm, baby. Uh, I can't wait for that one. That's that's going to be good. Um, I think it was like three fights into Gaethje's run after the Poirier loss. When he start, when we started kind of seeing the changes in his style, I, I started saying, like, I want that rematch. Like, I don't know how Poirier matches against this version of Gaethje. I want that. Uh, I wanted it then. I still want it now. I am I am siced. Bring that on. Love it. Here's what I don't love. This is comical. Uh, apparently, this is for the vacant, quote-unquote, BMF belt, now that Jorge Masvidal is retired. Dana White, when he announced this, among other things, he was asked about this, I think, at the post-fight presser for the last event. At one point said, we don't do gimmick fights here. Two minutes later, the BMF title's back, by the way. Like, no! This is not an actual belt. It was a stupid gimmick for a one-off fight. 
if you want, like, isn't Leon Edwards the lineal BMF champion, by the way? Because Masvidal, because yeah, he lost the title fight with Usman. So then Usman would have had it, and then Edwards knocked him out. So Leon Edwards, technically your lineal BMF. If you want to have something like this, just call it what it is. It's the violence weight title. And Poirier used to have it. I think Eddie Alvarez got it from him. Or, no. Alvarez got it from Gagey, and then um, Poirier got it from Alvarez. And then Khabib got it from Poirier, and then it kind of just retired. I think it just kind of retired with uh, Khabib. Um, either that or one of these two got it back after it was vacated, because, uh, like, Rebecca Hitman, uh, Kaposa is the keeper of the violence weight lineage. He knows. Um, call it what it is. If you want to have the... The UFC's two-facedness about this is what gets me. Like, this belt... They just don't want to have a title, uh, main event that doesn't have a title on the line for some stupid reason. So we have a... Comp- They're all manufactured anyway, but a fully fabricated one. Like, just, what are we doing? Let these two guys fight. We don't need your stupid trope. We don't need your silly little thing for this one, okay? Um, can't wait for this fight. Like My antipathy towards that stupidity aside. Wonderful fight. Other fights announced for the same card. At light heavyweight, former middleweight champion Alex Pereira will fight Jan Blahovich. That is a tough fight for Pereira's debut in that weight class, man. Um, it would be funny, though, if because Blahovich was the first guy to beat Adesanya in uh, to beat um, Israel Adesanya in MMA. If he just goes out there and kind of handles Pereira, like yeah, I kind of walked over Izzy and then I kind of walked over Pereira. Um, Blahovich being able to kind of hold that over both their heads would be kind of funny. Um, tough fight for Pereira, man. Blahovich is tough. He's durable, physical grappler. If he gets on top of you, he can cause you problems. Good fight. I don't care for this fight. Lightweights, Tony Ferguson and Bobby Green. Here's my thing about this. I didn't talk about this after the news broke. I think it was last week. Um, Tony Ferguson, uh, had some kind of a car accident. He flipped his truck, I think, and was arrested for uh, DUI. You're hard-pressed to find someone with more affection for Tony's run when he was the boogeyman than me. Okay? Loved watching that man fight. I'm not sure I want to watch him fight anymore. And I hate saying that, but... He's 39. That's old for lightweight. It just is. Or welterweight or wherever he's fighting. He's also on a five-fight losing streak, and he's been finished in four of those. Wait a minute. Hang on. He's been finished in three of his five losses. That fight with Justin Gagey, man... At 249, usually 249, Gagey changed him. He just did. Since then, uh, Oliveira and Daryush both beat him and probably should have submitted him, but he just wouldn't give up. Michael Chandler front-kicked him into orbit. And then Nate Diaz uh, tapped him out uh, September of last year. He's just... He's old. He's got 33 fights. Even some... 
I mentioned this before, like, even if you look at his, when he was on his big run, even some of those fights he won, like, he went life and death with some of those guys. Like, Edson Barboza had him in trouble at a few different points. Lando Venata nearly finished him. Kevin Lee put a beating on him in the first round of their fight. Heck, I think, uh, I thought Donald Cerrone beat him in the first round of their, won the first round of their fight. And then, you know, Tony turned it on in the second, and then they had to stop it between two and three, but... Like, he's accrued a fair amount of damage. I... I don't know, man. I'm starting to... Tony's always been a little bit of a offbeat dude. It's not the worst thing in the world. I'm starting to... I'm starting to seriously worry about how that story ends. You're on this kind of a losing streak... I mean, sorry, even the Chandler fight, like, he had, I think he won the first round of that fight. He had success. He had bits of success against Nate, but he's not the same guy. And I'm starting to wonder, again, like, I'm starting to wonder what we're doing here. And how this is going to go. I mean, if this fight was, you know... Anytime like between 2017 and 2019, Tony Ferguson and Bobby Green, that would have been really cool. Um, that would have been really, really cool. In 2023, I don't know, man. I do not know. Um... Middleweight, weird fight here. Paulo Costa and Ikram Alexkarov. So, let me just talk this through real fast. Got announced a while, a little bit ago, that um, Sean Strickland was going to fight uh, Abusapi and Magomedov. Main event of some fight night. Strickland and Costa want to fight each other. Instead, they're both fighting unranked guys. And the UFC's... For reasons that I can't figure out, because the UFC is using stupid double talk. Dana White got asked about this, and he said, you know... Costa's tough, but he's been out for a while. So, you know, maybe let him get his feet wet. Buddy, two weeks ago you threw Henry Cejudo into a title fight off a three-year retirement. It's been longer than three years. Somewhere around there. That doesn't matter. You have no consistency. You're doing this because Paulo Costa screwed up some of your plans exposed you as a public liar and now you don't want him to have a you want him to have a tough fight as punishment this is punitive action full stop if you'll recall when the UFC went to uh, Australia a little bit ago they had said also on this card Robert Whitaker versus Paulo Costa Paulo Costa came out publicly and said I have not signed anything they are lying to you. And they kept saying that fight was on the card, and he kept saying, they're lying. Until we got like two weeks out, and they said, fight's off, Paulo Costa doesn't want it. And he said, I never... Is it... Ugh. So they're mad at him, so they're giving him a very tough, unknown guy, hoping the unknown guy kind of exacts vengeance for them. They do this all the time. They're not going to say it publicly, so instead, it's, no, he's been out for a while, and yeah, you know, he's a dog, and we like him, and he puts on good fights, but we want to let him get his feet wet a little bit, and then we'll see what happens. No, 
no bull. You're pissed at him, and you're going to make him fight his way out of the doghouse. Full stop. Um, so weird matchmaking. I don't hate the fight, though. Uh, Alex Garov is pretty good, and Costa is Costa. This should have been, just for the record, this should have been um, Costa and Strickland, though. Also on that card, again, announced at the moment, Stephen Thompson versus Michelle Pereira. Fine. Derek Lewis and Marcos Rogerio de Lima. One of them is going to die. Um, those two guys fighting at altitude here is going to be tough. Then uh, welterweight, Michael Chiesa, Kevin Holland, fine fight. So 291 starting to shape up. <sighs> Again, man, if I if I could get into a... When is that? Ju end of July? Uh, the, uh, the application process is going to be... I don't know. If the stars aligned... And I get again, uh, access to a device that I could cover the event from. I would, I would apply for press credentials for that one. Heck, if I wasn't covering it, I might look into tickets. If they, well, I'd look. I would then go, yeah, I'm not paying through the nose for that one. I'm not paying through the nose for the nosebleeds. Um, okay. Also announced UFC 292. This one's a little bit wonky. Uh, the UFC announced this will be in um, Boston. They announced Aljamain Sterling versus Sean O'Malley and Zhang Weili versus Amanda Lemos. Two things. One, Zhang versus Lemos is weird. Um, and this is just the UFC trying to serve various content masters. We should be getting Zhang and Yan, by all rights. But throw the number five in there because we have a date to meet and Zhang needs... Just, we want the title here, whatever. Sterling and O'Malley... Here's the interesting thing. As soon as they announced this, like Aljamain Sterling came out and said, I have verbally agreed to this fight, but I have not signed anything, and I'm waiting on an MRI. He's dealing with some kind of an injury, and if that checks out, he will do the... He'll be there for this fight, but he hasn't actually signed anything, so... If there are actual verbal agreements in place, I'm... To me, this is less egregious than some other stuff the UFC has done. Still not my favorite thing in the world, and apparently Henry Cejudo's going to try and serve as backup. And if something happens with Sterling, then we'll get, like, O'Malley and somebody, probably for an interim belt, because the UFC loves that crap. So, who knows. Uh, also, sort of announced for that card, um, Cody Garbrandt and Mario Bautista. Garbrandt up against it, man. So Zhang and Lemos is just weird. It feels like a placeholder to try and get to Zhang and Yan. And Sterling and O'Malley isn't actually signed. So that's, again, that's pending uh, Sterling's health evaluation. So we'll see what happens. We'll keep you updated. One of the things we do here. Uh, was there anything else that got announced much? I think that was the big ones. Well, that was the couple of pay-per-views. So they, they also like fully confirmed a couple of stuff that we already knew about. So I'm not going to repeat that. That's kind of a waste of time. Um, yeah, all right, that's that. So, I mentioned I would talk about this, and I will talk about it now. So, Francis Ngannou revealed the uh, extent of his deal with the, well, in his future. He signed with the PFL, fair enough. He, yeah, part of his deal, he's not, he doesn't expect to fight for the PFL until next year. 
Okay. Um, he is guaranteed. Part of his contract is that his opponent is guaranteed like a minimum of two million dollars. Putting his money where his mouth is with respect to uh, fighters. And he's got, it's only for like two or three fights. He's got freedom to do some other things. He's still looking to box somebody. Good luck to you. Um, I shouldn't be that sarcastic about it, but here's the thing. I don't know exactly who he'd fight. He said he wants to fight Anthony Joshua. I think Joshua still has designs on being a relevant heavyweight. Deontay Wilder might make the most sense because Deontay Wilder is objectively the worst top-end boxer at the heavyweight rank at the moment. Let me rephrase. He's the worst technician of the relevant fighter, heavyweight boxers, whose names mean something. And that might work in Francis's favor. Wilder would also be like the most... Da- Wilder's not the least winnable fight for him. He is the most dangerous fight for him, though. Uh, Andy Ruiz, Ruiz seems to have stepped in it recently and some other stuff, so I'm going to, we'll have to wait and see on Andy Ruiz. Fury, I don't know what Tyson Fury is doing, man. Um, calling out John Jones is is what he's doing, just wasting everyone's time. Uh, I don't exactly, I think Usyk has his mandatory coming up. Usyk would be a terrible fight for Francis. Usyk would just... Dude, Usyk would box certain... If, with Usyk's belts, it's unlikely that fight gets made anyway, but Usyk would box circles around him. Um, again, Joshua or Wilder seem like some of the more attainable options, but who knows. Look, I'm not mad at Francis trying to box if he wants to do it. Godspeed, man. Go get paid. I don't know who he's. I don't know what the available options are in the relevant timeline, so who knows? But whoever fights him is going to make a lot of money. He's a pretty big deal for the PFL to acquire. He is, in my estimation, the best heavyweight on the planet. John might be able to supplant that. We'll have to see how his fight with his theoretical fight with Stipe goes. But at the moment, I tend to lean towards Francis in that regard. So. Kudos to him. Dana White predictably kind of shat on this. Um, uh, the pettiness, man. You should be better than this. You're not, but you should be. Uh, Francis wasn't taking that either. He actually responded. Like, what do you mean? You didn't cut me. I fought out my contract. What do you mean I'm risk averse? I fought a nightmare matchup with a completely destroyed knee and won to fight out my deal. And test out free agency. Like, um, Francis will also be... He's got some executive position, and he's apparently going to be like somewhat in charge of trying to set up PFL Africa, which might actually open up an interesting lawsuit. So for those of you who don't know, when the original guys behind what it was at the time, World Series of Fighting, sold off their controlling interest and whatnot to the people who now own the PFL, one of the contingencies was they maintained the rights to world, like exclusivity for World Series of Fighting Africa. So we might be in some weird legal waters here. We might not as well. I don't know the specifics of it. Just saying we might. Lawsuits will be filed. That I can guarantee. 
And that seems to matter more to Francis than a lot of this stuff. So I don't know. Again, like good for him. Get paid, my man. This is the best. I mean this. Francis has the best MMA contract for this I've ever seen. He has... Uh, whether he fights a relevant heavyweight and gets paid a lot for it and helps legitimize the PFL, he wins. If he fights some bum and makes a giant ton of money and helps his opponent get a giant check, he wins. Like this, He doesn't actually lose in this scenario, but of course the UFC homers... How did we get here, by the way? Look, there was a time when rooting for the UFC was rooting for the underdog, for the outcast. I get it. Guys... To anyone who is the puts the UFC ahead of the fighters at this point, please stop. You're embarrassing yourself. The UFC is a billion-dollar promotion about to be folded into another multi-billion-dollar entity into this giant live sport entertainment powerhouse. You're rooting for... What is basically a monopsony is what you're rooting for. Also, it, it, for the record, all you guys out there, saying Francis isn't going to be able to fight anyone other than bums is not the flex you think it is because it just proves how much unfair market power the UFC has. The UFC, for those of you who don't know, the only reason Francis got out of his contract was because the to avoid some of the future litigation they might have been facing, the UFC restructured some of their contracts in 2017. They put in, like, the five-year sunset clauses and whatnot. Well, after Francis announced his intention to use that, they basically made them more restrictive. Um, here's the big one, actually. <clears throat> For a long time, your UFC contract started when you signed the contract. Now your UFC contract does not start counting whatever sunset clause you might have until you get in the cage the first time. Which is, uh... And it's a little dirty, to be honest. So that's a little bit dirty. So, we don't know. We're like going to have to wait and see. Look, Francis won here, and he won pretty big. And I wish him well... Uh, gonna have to see which middle of the road UFC heavyweight tries to uh, tries to get out of stuff to go fight Francis. Two million dollars, dude. So the event the UFC had, uh, the UFC on ABC one, uh, Rosenstruck and Almeida. Um, North Carolina, that was in North Carolina. They still disclose payouts. The total disclosed payout. Now this doesn't include. Um, this doesn't include discretionary bonuses so this might not include the fight of the night or yeah, the various bonuses but in total the ufc paid out 1.87 million dollars for that card that was all they paid like their total gate was 2.09 uh so whoever fights francis next is going to make more money then the UFC paid everyone on that ABC card in totality. Think about that for just a second, yeah? Okay, there were fighters on that card on ABC 
fighting for like 10 and 10. You're a billion dollar promotion and you got guys fighting for 10 and 10. Exploitative is the only way to phrase it. All right, last thing I'm going to say about that. Um, what do we want to say here? All right, let me let me just say very briefly about this. So Conor McGregor, probably partially because there's a Netflix documentary out about him. I haven't seen it, and I probably won't. But Conor McGregor's immediate future has come under scrutiny again because he did a thing where he said, yes, we're going to fight Chandler. We'll announce it. Um... At some point during the season of The Ultimate Fighter being aired, he's still not in the USADA pool. Um, Dana White, when asked about it, said, yeah, we've got to sort that out, so we're probably looking at him fighting, like, December. Which means they're either going to waive the whole thing and fight sooner, or this actually isn't happening until, like, 2024. And Conor also came out and said, yeah, you know, Canelo Alvarez is fading. A little bit of truth to that, and I want to box him. So, very briefly, to address Canelo fading. So, a couple of weeks ago, Canelo had his um, homecoming in Mexico, the like Cinco de Mayo weekend card, and he beat a guy he should he should have beat, but it went the distance. He dropped him a couple of times. And it was a glorified showcase for Canelo. But if you look at how that fight went, and how Canelo's older fights of similar set up have gone he has Canelo has slept a bit now that doesn't mean he's still not one of the great boxers in the world he is but at his age and with his like Canelo turned pro at like 16 he's been doing this forever that catches up to you so age and miles are probably starting to catch up to Canelo somebody's going to get him in the near future I mean I tend to think other people should have beaten him already. Uh, the second... Uh, dude, that Golovkin trilogy. Poor Triple G, man. Feel bad for that guy. He got screwed. He absolutely got screwed. That first fight in particular. Um, but... The long and the short of that, yeah. Canelo is... He is slipping a little bit. And that's inevitable. Everybody does. Uh, which I don't I don't know if that makes the McGregor fight more or less likely, because if Canelo wants a giant easy payday, Connor's a pretty big target. Um, <laughs> that's assuming the UFC will even let Connor do it, because that's the way that works. So, but Connor's still out there making noise. It, dude, Canelo would flatline him. Um, but. If there's enough demand for it, we've seen stuff similar in the past, so I don't know. So, the point there being, Connor's future is still a giant unknown. Just a giant unknown. Alright, that's what I've got here. Uh, let's check Twitter, see if anything crazy is broken. If not, we will do plugs and we will get out of here. Alrighty, nope, nothing new. So, plugs. This week, I will be covering a few... 
things. Um, I'm still covering WWE's Monday Night Raw. Uh, the normal host is out on vacation, so I'm covering it again this week. That will be something. Um, WWE SmackDown on Friday. Uh, I don't... I think we're still waiting on... Because AEW's Dark and Elevation are moving. They're going to be... I don't know where they're going to be. I think they're going to be on... Um, are they going to be on the app? Um, don't let's uh, Because WB... What they're with. I don't know. I, I, I think it might be on a streaming service somewhere instead of YouTube. So if that comes back at the same more or less time, I might be covering that again. I'll have to wait again. We're waiting to see the scheduling and the programming and whatnot. So see, waiting and seeing, but we'll see. Um, as for my other podcast, this week, uh, last week, Mark and I talked a couple of streaming movies. We talked about Tetris on Apple, uh, Apple TV and the Boston Strangler on Hulu. And we, eh, it was Mark and I getting together, having a good time. This Tuesday at our regular time, actually, let me confirm that. I'm 99% sure. Yeah, Tuesday, normal time of 9 p.m. Eastern, just me and Mark, we will be talking about Fast X. I am not thrilled. The week after will be The Little Mermaid. I am less thrilled. <laughs> the week after spider-man oh golly we're just oh, dental cleaning is coming up yeah we're just um we're not in a good spot for movies that i'm interested in personally until we get to like july even july is iffy Um, yeah, even July's iffy. Because I'm not looking forward to Indiana Jones 5. I don't actually care about Mission Impossible 7. Yeah, it's a... It's a thing. Alright, anywho. We will keep you updated as here. As always, um, there is no UFC event this Saturday. Week after, I already mentioned, UFC on ESPN, headlined by Kai Carter France and Amir Al-Bazi. Next week, we will preview that. That's UFC on ESPN 46. So, hope you have a good weekend and whole week. I will see you back here, same time, same channel. Thank you very much, as always. Till then, stay safe out there and continue to be well, be safe, and behave. <laughs>